It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Today's episode is sponsored in part by libertarianism.org. Political philosophy gives us tools to judge whether governing institutions are good or bad, just or unjust. Libertarianism.org's Introduction to Political Philosophy, available as both a free book and a series of online videos, teaches the basics of these tools. Jason Brennan, a professor at Georgetown University, introduces major theories of justice, equality, and fairness, and teaches how we can all be more thoughtful about policy and politics. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and let me just start off today by letting you know that this has been one hell of a week. As you all know, I've spent this week down in Tyler, Texas. I left on Sunday to go to Tyler to attend the actual innocence hearing of Carrie Max Cook. I had planned to spend all my days in Tyler in the courtroom in the evening working on Edward Eight's case. I walked in the courtroom about 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning for Carrie's hearing. As everyone settled into the courtroom, things seemed to be going according to plan. One by one, the attorneys started to shuffle in, and finally, wearing a sharp-looking black suit and a white tie, Gary Max Cook made his way into the courtroom. All of us in the audience were prepared to watch a week-long battle, but within one minute of the judge walking into the courtroom, everything changed. So there we sat, looking on as Kerry's defense team stared across the table at Matt Bingham and his team of prosecutors. The amended writ for Kerry Max Cook's actual innocence contained eight grounds. The eight grounds that Cook's attorneys were raising in this hearing were as follows. Ground number one, Mr. Cook is actually innocent of the rape and murder of Linda Jo Edwards. Ground number two, New scientific evidence requires that Mr. Cook's conviction be vacated under Texas Code 11.073. Ground number three, the state suppressed exculpatory evidence it possessed prior to the entry of Mr. Cook's no-contest plea. Ground number four, Mr. Cook's due process rights were violated by the state's bad-faith destruction of exculpatory evidence. Ground number five, Mr. Cook's due process rights were violated by the presentation of false testimony from James Mayfield. Ground number six. The state suppressed an exculpatory taped interview of the assistant manager of Miss Edwards' apartment complex by Texas Ranger Stuart Dowell. Ground number seven. Mr. Cook's due process rights were violated by the presentation of false testimony from Paula Rudolph. And ground number eight. The state suppressed exculpatory evidence of a pretrial statement by Paula Rudolph affirmatively identifying the person she saw in Linda Jo Edwards' bedroom as James Mayfield. I assume that everyone in that courtroom was expecting a battle royale over these eight grounds. 
So for me to continue to set the stage as to why we were all expecting such a battle, I want to read to you from the state's last filing on the case. Matt Bingham's office filed their final response in this case on Friday, just three days before the actual hearing. I want to read to you a few excerpts out of this response. Quote, and and I'm going to have to remind you that this is actually a legal document filed by the prosecutor's office, which you may find hard to believe when you hear the language in it. Quote, It's a sure bet that applicant will soon claim that anything that Mayfield said in April of this year, which doesn't square with his actual innocence narrative, is a lie. But if it's something that may be consistent with his slick, made-for-TV fantasy, why then, of course, it's the gospel truth. And here's another gem from the next page. Quote, Apparently, whatever storyline works best for him, never mind that applicant's inconsistent narrative also requires this court to believe that when he lies, it's only because he's innocent. But when Mr. Mayfield lies, it's only because Mayfield is guilty. It's very easy for applicant to engage in rank speculation, but it appears to be very difficult for him to be consistent in that speculation. Here's another excerpt from page 7 of the document. Applicant further tosses into this contradictory tangle of rank speculation the new and allegedly, quote, exculpatory inference that Paula Rudolph may have been the killer. He bases this illusionary claim on a taped interview between Ranger Stuart Dowell and Miss B. Taylor. It will be seen that this tape hardly represents the model of law enforcement interview techniques. Nevertheless, applicant can apparently read the mind of Ranger Dowell and knows that in 1977 he, quote, had serious doubts about whether Carrie Max Cook was the person that committed this murder. However, appellant neglects to tell the court that whatever doubts Ranger Dowell may have had while conducting this investigation in 1977 were dispelled by 1998 when he told Ted Koppel on the TV show Nightline that, quote, Carrie Max Cook is guilty. I have no qualms about it. No doubts whatever. He is the one that killed her. Now bear with me. There's just a few more of these, but there is a reason why I want you to see what this document says. Remember, this is what the prosecution supposedly thought about the case on Friday afternoon, three days before the hearing. And so moving on, here's another great piece of professionalism out of the Smith County DA's office. Quote, So Mr. Wickham is not credible partially because he was a reserve deputy as opposed to a full-time deputy. Of course, this accusation comes from the attorney of a convicted murderer and thief who has made a comfortable living by falsely claiming that he has been, quote, exonerated when nothing of the sort has ever happened. If applicant has been exonerated, then what is it that we have been litigating for the last four years? End quote. This continues on to the next paragraph. Applicant has remained convicted of the murder of Linda Jo Edwards since his sworn plea in 1999, and since then he has continuously misled many gullible members of the media, celebrities, and audiences worldwide regarding that fact. This berating continues on. Quote, More irritating and perhaps disingenuous is the applicant's continuous and speculative accusations against good people like Robert Wickham and Paula Rudolph, who have voluntarily taken the witness stand repeatedly to tell what they know and have opened themselves up to intense cross-examination and heavy scrutiny. The same goes for his purely speculative claims of prosecutorial misconduct against prosecutors who have tried their level best to ensure his defense teams have had all the evidence. And then here we have on page 9. Now this is a prosecutor commenting on a defendant's constitutional right to not take the stand. It says, Applicant can certainly dole out the ridicule against the state and the people who have testified, but he's never had the guts to take the witness stand. He has never faced any scrutiny over his criminal history, his actions on the night of the murder, his decades of lying about whether he knew Linda Jo Edwards before the murder, 
his lies about being exonerated, or his repeated sexual mutilation of himself while on death row. It continues on. Instead, he sits back and answers softball questions lobbed at him by a willing and ill-informed media. He gets money and applause to stand before audiences that have been intentionally misled by him and others to believe that he has somehow been, quote, exonerated. If applicant was previously exonerated, he would have already taken his rank bag of speculation to the governor's office and tried to collect $1.6 million. There wouldn't have been any need to expend the money and time that has been required since 2012 to rebut his bare-bone allegation of innocence. On page 10, it will be the applicant's burden to buttress his baseless writ claims with actual evidence, and in that burden he will fail. Further down the page, Unfortunately, applicant has taken great license upon that order to continually raise new grounds or to modify his original grounds. His latest memorandum is clearly not designed to be a legitimate legal document, and talk about the pot in the kettle, but rather a disingenuous argument filed purely for public consumption. That document, again, was filed on Friday, June 3rd, by one of Matt Bingham's assistant district attorneys, Michael West. So that filing set the stage. Everyone went into the weekend loaded for bear. Or so we thought. The judge entered the room and ordered us all to be seated. And as soon as he sat down, the first words out of his mouth was that there had been a new development in the case. Evidently, in the early Monday morning hours, the prosecution and Kerry Cook's attorneys reached an agreement. Like I mentioned earlier, there were eight grounds to carry Max Cook's actual innocence claim. The judge explained to everyone what the agreement entailed. The prosecution had agreed to concede on ground number five. Ground number five, again, is Mr. Cook's due process rights were violated by the presentation of false testimony from James Mayfield. So what the state's saying is that they agree that James Mayfield lied on the stand, and therefore Carey's due process rights were violated. Within seconds, the judge from the bench declared that because of this due process violation, the state has agreed that Carey Max Cook's conviction should be set aside. Everyone in the audience looked on stunned. Did that really just happen? Within three minutes of the hearing beginning, Carey Cook's conviction was set aside. All I could think is, is this really going to be over? What does the rest of this agreement say? So first of all, before I go any further, let me explain what it means to have his conviction set aside. This is not an exoneration. In fact, to my knowledge, the word exoneration isn't really even a legal term. So what does it mean that his conviction was set aside? Well, it's the exact thing that we've been working towards in the Adnan Syed case. We're fighting for a new trial. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The ruling that we're still waiting for from the judge in Adnan's case is deciding whether or not to set the conviction aside. The question before the court is not whether or not to exonerate Adnan. It is simply to throw out the conviction. And that's what happened here in Kerry Cook's case. But what that means, the fact that the judge ordered his conviction be set aside, is it mean that it takes him all the way back to post-indictment phase. So if you think about a new case, someone is arrested, they sit in jail or they bond out. At some point that goes before the grand jury. And if the grand jury indicts them, that gives the state the authority to then take that person to trial. That is the position that Kerry Max Cook is in at this point, or at least he will be as long as this deal is approved by the Court of Criminal Appeals. The process in Texas works like this. The judge of the district court approved this deal. He signed off on it. But that still doesn't put it into effect. Because this is a post-conviction case, that then has to go up to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, and they have to decide if they're going to approve it. If they approve it, then Kerry Max Cook's conviction will indeed be set aside. But again, that's not an exoneration. It only takes him back to the pre-trial stage of this case. If things stand with only this being done, that would mean the state would have some options. The state could agree to ask the judge to drop the indictment, basically give up and concede that Kerry Cook is actually innocent. That would be what we think of as an exoneration. That would mean that he would get the large payout for being wrongly convicted and wrongly imprisoned. So that's one option or the state could offer an Alford plea. This is what happened in 1999 with Kerry Cook. In 97, his conviction was set aside. And at that point, the state decided to do the third option, which is to bring the case to trial again. But right before the trial in 99, they offered Kerry Cook an Alford plea. That's when he pled no contest to time served, and he was able to walk free. But like I said, the other option on the table is that now the state, if they wanted to, could actually take Kerry Cook back to trial. Now, I don't believe that's what they're going to do. I don't think that was the intention of this. And I truly believe that the DA's office believes that Kerry Cook is innocent. I don't think they would have made this deal otherwise. If they felt they had a credible case against Kerry Max Cook, I believe they would have kept fighting. But in any case, that was the first element of the deal between the Smith County DA's office and Kerry Cook's attorneys. They concede that James Mayfield lied on the stand. It was a violation of Kerry Cook's due process rights. And they've agreed to set the conviction aside which was approved by the judge and is now being set to the Court of Criminal Appeals, which is a good start. But then comes the rest of the agreement. In exchange for that, Kerry Cook's legal team dropped all other grounds with the exception of ground number one, which means they dropped ground number two, which was the ground claiming new scientific evidence in the case. They dropped ground number three, that the state suppressed exculpatory evidence. They dropped ground number four, the Kerry's due process rights were violated by the state's bad faith destruction of exculpatory evidence. And what they're referring to there is the fact that the state destroyed DNA evidence after the 2001 law went into effect that required them to preserve that evidence. And remember, this is the same thing that happened to Kenny Snow. But they dropped that one as well. They dropped ground number six, that the state suppressed an exculpatory taped interview. They dropped ground number seven, that Mr. Cook's due process rights were violated due to the presentation of false testimony from Paula Rudolph. And they dropped number eight, and that one states that the state suppressed exculpatory evidence of a pretrial statement of Paula Rudolph, 
where she affirmatively identified the person she saw in Linda Jo Edrum's bedroom as James Mayfield. In a nutshell, the state agreed to set Cook's conviction aside in exchange for the defense dropping all six rounds that relate to prosecutorial misconduct. The result is, Carrie Max Cook is no longer a convicted murderer, and the state doesn't have to answer for their decades of prosecutorial misconduct. And I'll tell you, as I was sitting in the audience, I, I was just stunned. I didn't know what to think about it. I wanted to be happy for Carrie that finally he's no longer a convicted murderer. But I've gotten to know Carrie over this last year, not as a journalist, but as a friend. And something about this just wasn't sitting right with me. It just didn't seem right that Dobbs and Skeen didn't have to take the stand, and that the entire Smith County DA's office didn't have to answer for their documented misconduct over four decades. They seemed to get off scot free. And some would say at a cost, but I don't believe it really was a cost. Yes, they had to set Carrie's conviction aside in order to secure that deal. But I don't think that was a sacrifice for them. I believe that Matt Bingham in the Smith County DA's office knows that Carrie Cook is innocent. So it's not really a loss for them. So they let an innocent man lose the stigma of being a convicted murderer and rapist. So what? He was innocent anyway. So as I was absorbing that, the judge disclosed the one ground that was not settled upon. And that was ground number one, Carrie Max Cook's actual innocence. The state wouldn't concede this one. Then the judge disclosed the rest of the terms of the agreement. There will be no live witnesses called at the hearing for actual innocence. He set a date of June 29th for him to hear the arguments. But he'll only be ruling on the evidence. There will be no witnesses. This was another huge concession on the defense's part. Most certainly, the evidence stands on its own. Anyone who looks at this case and evaluates the evidence in an objective manner would determine that not only is Kerry Max Cook innocent, but the most likely suspect in this case would be James Mayfield. There's no doubt about that. But by both parties agreeing that no witnesses will be called, that was the last chance for Kerry Cook's team to put David Dobbs and Jack Skeen on that witness stand. It was their last chance to make them answer for their actions over these decades, and they just signed it away. And just as quick as the hearing started, it was almost over. We had been told that they would not be hearing those arguments today, that they're going to come back at the end of the month. Even that was a bit of a disappointment. A few minutes earlier, I had been really excited and proud that the Truth and Justice Army was representing at this hearing. There were about 10 people that are listeners of this show that came to the first day of the hearing. Listeners traveled from Kansas City, New Orleans, Houston, Lubbock. These people didn't just make a quick drive, but they traveled for hours to be there to support Carrie. And poof, it was almost over. And I say almost, because the next thing that happened just absolutely blew my mind. Carrie's lead attorney then stood up to make a statement for the judge. In his statement, he praised, and I mean over the top, praised Matt Bingham as being a man who was seeking justice that none of these things would have happened if Bingham wasn't such a good guy and was willing to work with the defense. And I'll remind you, this is the same man whose office just sent that scathing response just three days prior to this. But he went on and on and on about what a great prosecutor Matt Bingham was and what a great example he is. And I do want to say that we deal with these kind of cases and we deal with district attorneys around the country and the, the uh, ability of justice to be done on cases largely depends on the ability or the willingness of the district attorney to cooperate, to let, let us review their files, 
and in particular the way Mr. Bingham has handled this is really a model for how these type of situations should be handled. So I do want everybody and the court to know that uh, that we are in the position we are in today because of his work on this case. Thank you. As most of the people in the courtroom were watching his attorney, I was looking at Kerry Cook. He kept his composure, but I saw him turn his chair away from his attorneys, almost turning his back to him, and he had his eyes closed. It was hard to watch. And again, I know from talking to Kerry as a friend that this had to feel like a knife in his back. Kerry's life for 40 years has been destroyed because of misconduct coming out of that Smith County DA's office. And there stood his attorney praising the district attorney that has been fighting this post-conviction relief for years, even as soon as just three days before this hearing, when he wrote that scathing, insulting response. And Carrie listened to him being praised. Then it was Mac Bingham's turn to speak, and he didn't return the favor. Bingham basically stood up and said, yeah, what he said, and sat down. And then that was it. The judge declared that he would approve the order and send it up to the Criminal Court of Appeals. He banged his gavel, and it was over. The entire process couldn't have taken more than five minutes. I sat stunned for several minutes. I couldn't decide if this was a good thing or a bad thing. But I saw Kerry walk out, and he had a smile on his face, so I thought it must be okay. And then I noticed Matt Bingham standing right in front of the front pew in the courtroom. And I thought, I'm going to take this opportunity to see if Matt Bingham will put his money where his mouth is. I walked up to Bingham, and I shook his hand and introduced myself. I told him, you probably know who I am. I'm Bob Ruff from the Truth and Justice Podcast. And Bingham told me he had no idea who I was. And I said, well, I'm sure you're familiar with the case that I'm working. It's the Edward Eights case. And again, he said, no, he knew nothing about the case. And even though I found those statements odd, considering that a couple of weeks ago, I filed an open records request with his office requesting the Edward Eights DA files. And the fact that when I went to the Cotton Belt Storage Building to see what files were there, the person at the desk at Bingham's office had already came and took all the files out. And when I went into the clerk's office to see what files were around there, they told me that the DA's office had asked them to pull Eight's file. It seemed strange that Bingham had never heard of that case or heard of me. But I digress. I handed Mr. Bingham a card and I shook his hand. And I said, well, in any case, if what I just heard is true, and you're a prosecutor who's willing to work for justice and be reasonable and open about cases like this, I would love to take the time to sit down and talk to you about my case, and maybe we can work together on this. He told me that he'd be really busy this week, but he would definitely call me. So we'll see if he does. We shook hands again, and I headed out of the courthouse. When I went outside, it was like a scene from a movie. There were cameras and microphones everywhere. Carrie was outside, and there were some other familiar faces out there too. Namely, one of the attendees was Michael Morton. Michael Morton, if you don't know, is one of the most famous cases of exoneration in Texas history. Everyone seemed to think this was a good thing. I looked over at Kerry, and he was putting a smile on for the cameras, and again I was torn. I thought maybe he's okay with this, but I still was having a hard time wrapping my brain around it. But the other thing that I noticed was that Kerry wasn't talking to any of the reporters. He has one of the most famous wrongful conviction stories in our nation's history. And this was the big moment when he walked out of the courtroom with his conviction set aside, and he wasn't talking to anyone. I saw him go towards one reporter and start to speak, and I thought his lawyers were going to tackle him. They pulled him aside, I heard him remind him he's not to talk to anybody, and then they whisked him away. And there the rest of us stood, still kind of stunned, not sure whether we should be happy, mad, or sad about the situation. But as we all walked away to go grab lunch, 
The question was running through my mind. Why would Gary's attorneys not let him talk to the press? Exonerees always talk to the press. They issue press releases. They do interviews. But not Carrie. I found myself wondering if this was part of the deal. Could it be possible that in exchange for having his conviction set aside, that not only were all the grounds dropped that would have required the Smith County DA's office to answer for any misconduct, and they were promised that they wouldn't have to testify at the June 29th hearing, and Carrie's attorney stood up and praised the district attorney's office that had done all of this to Carrie in the first place. But could it have been possible that on top of that, they wouldn't even allow him to talk about his case to the press? I walked away, still dumbfounded. Within a few minutes, I had my head on straight. I reorganized and started the work for the week. I figured that since I was there, there was a lot of things I could do with Ed's case. And I did get a lot accomplished, but we'll talk about that next week. I want to focus on Carrie's case today. All day long as I was interviewing witnesses and talking to attorneys and scanning files, Carrie was constantly in the back of my mind. I was wondering how he felt, how he was thinking, but I decided not to call him. I figured he's busy, his family's here, he's with his lawyers. If he wants to talk, he'll call me. I don't want to bother him. Well, two days later, that call finally came. And what Carrie had to say absolutely blew my mind. Right after the break. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. After two 21-hour days of work, I finally decided to clock out for a little bit and go grab some lunch on Wednesday. Some hot wings and a beer sounded just about right, but shortly after I sat down, my phone rang. It was my friend, Carrie Cook. I grabbed the phone and ran outside and asked him how he was doing, and what I heard on the other end of the line was a man broken. Carrie was beside himself. He was crying on the phone. I could barely hear his words. All I could make out through his tears was this is not my story. This is not my story, Bob. This is not my story. He went on to tell me how embarrassed he was when his attorneys were praising Matt Bingham. See, Carrie had just read that document that I read earlier on Friday, and it hurt him. It cut him deep to see those words written about him. Not as deep as all the cuts that he's received from that district attorney's office for the last 40 years. It seemed to me that on the morning of the hearing that Carrie was in a state of shock of some kind. Like I said earlier, he seemed almost numb. He was smiling for the cameras, but I hadn't forgotten that moment when he turned his back to his attorney and closed his eyes. 
Carrie felt as though his attorneys had made a deal with the devil. I asked him if he didn't agree with the deal, then why did he sign it? And he told me that they presented him with the deal on Sunday night. He was waiting to meet with his attorney to prep for his testimony, but instead they brought a deal. He said he argued Friday night, he argued Monday morning, and eventually he was convinced that his only choice was to sign that agreement. According to Carrie, if he didn't sign it, he was going to be walking into that hearing without an attorney. But on this day, after Carrie had two days to sit in a hotel room and just think and think and think on this, he was devastated. It took me over an hour to calm him down and I never really did. I got him to settle down enough to speak calmly enough to me that I could at least understand him. He kept telling me he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. He wanted to go public with his story. He told me that he was told by his attorneys that if he talked to the press that they would drop his case. But he wanted me to report on it anyway. And now I was torn. I didn't know what to do. For those of you that follow me on Periscope, I'm sure you could see the concern in my face. Ever since that phone call, I've been wrestling with what do I do. See, I'm two different people to Carrie. Carrie considers me a friend, and I him, but he also considers me a journalist. The journalist or podcaster in me wanted to run with the story, let it all out, let everything that Carrie told me out. Not to hurt anyone else, but just to let him be heard, to let the world know that he does not think Matt Bingham is a great guy, that he does not forgive the district attorney's office, that he wants justice, and that's not what was served in that courtroom that day. But the friend in me knew that by doing that, it could potentially destroy Cook's case. His attorneys could walk on him, and I couldn't do that to my friend. So for the moment, I had talked Carrie down. I told him he needs to sleep on this, think it through, and I will report on the story, and I'll report on the truth, and I'll keep him out of it. But a few hours later, the phone calls and the text started coming again. Carrie couldn't bear it. He couldn't bear for the world to think that he was okay with what happened in that courtroom. Again, he was in tears. And again, I was able to talk Carrie down, to let him vent to me and let me handle it. And our last conversation was about 10 o'clock at night. At that point, I thought I had Carrie convinced to keep quiet. But what happened next stunned everyone. See, it was easy for me to say, keep quiet, Carrie. Don't get yourself in trouble. Don't upset your lawyers. But I also know that not me or you or anyone else can understand what Carrie was going through, what he's gone through. None of us can relate to what it's like to spend two decades of your life on death row in the entire time on a daily basis, getting beaten and raped and mutilated every single day for 20 years. Post-traumatic stress doesn't even begin to describe what that has to do to a person. And right around midnight on that night, my email started blowing up. Carrie couldn't take it anymore, and he decided to stand his ground. He decided to stand up for what's right, even if it cost him everything. My brain tells me that what Carrie did was a terrible idea, and I would never have recommended for him to do it but my heart admires the shit out of him for doing it. Carrie sent an email to his attorney and copied several members of the press from all around the state of Texas and the country, letting everyone know that he did not agree with what happened in that courtroom and that he was humiliated by his attorney praising Matt Bingham in open court and that he was firing his attorneys. This is a man that was one step away from finally getting an actual innocence exoneration. 
but the cost of that was more than he could bear. He told me on the phone that he would rather walk into that courtroom with the truth and lose and at least have David Dobbs and Jack Skeen have to get on that stand and answer for what they've done to him than to win his exoneration and his settlement and let the Smith County District Attorney's Office once again walk free unscathed. I don't know what the end result of this is going to be. I'm just as torn now as I was on Monday morning. I'm proud of Kerry Max Cook for standing up for what he believes in, and I'm scared to death for him for what's going to happen next. Kerry's not a wealthy man. He doesn't have money to hire a lawyer, and I can only assume that the district attorney's office isn't going to continue to play so nice after Kerry's gone public with these scathing emails. But if Kerry holds true to his word, that he'd rather lose with the truth than win with a lie, then I stand behind my friend Kerry Max Cook. If I've ever been one thing with all of you, it's that I've always been real with you. And I'll tell you that after this week, I am mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. As I'm sitting here recording, I don't even know how to transition out of that segment. All I can think about is Carrie Cook, morning, noon, and night. But the fact of the matter is I still have a job to do. We all have a job to do. And that job certainly includes supporting Carrie Max Cook, however this case goes from here. But it also includes continuing to work our cases. Right now, we are still actively working on Kenny Snow and Edward Aid's cases. And I want you all to know that the work that we're doing together is having an impact. It's making a difference. We're rattling chains and making waves. And something happened last week that I was able to capture to share with all of you. As you guys remember, a couple of months ago, I asked Ed Aids if he was still married. And he told me that he didn't know. He said that about two years ago, he had told his wife Kimberly that she needs to move on. He had conceded to the fact that he was never going to get out of that prison. And he didn't want his wife to spend her entire life alone. He said that he doesn't know if they're still married, because he didn't want to know. He told me he assumes that they're divorced, and when he sees his wife and kids, they just don't talk about it. It's just too painful of a topic for him. Well, a few weeks back, when I finally got a hold of Kim, I asked her that question. Are you and Ed still married? And she told me to play this message for Edward. She asked me to do this. She, well, she wanted me to record a message to send to you. Edward, I want you to know that I never doubted that you were innocent. I've always believed you. Uh, we are still married. I love you. And you will always have a place to come home to. I just pray and hope that that, that time is sooner than later. I cannot wait. For us to be together as a family. Your kids cannot wait. This is a godsend. Were you able to hear that? Yes. You alright? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I just haven't heard her say that in a long time, you know. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that sounds great. That takes a big weight up off my shoulder there, you know. The work that we do is changing lives. And now, after all this time, Edward Aids knows that if he ever manages to get out of that prison, he still has a loving wife and children to go home to. 
in the work that we've been doing has now brought us one step closer to that actually happening. My name's Allison Clayton. I'm an attorney with the Innocence Project of Texas, and I've been assigned to Ed Eight's case. Next week on Truth and Justice. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all of the music for the show. Thank you to Tate Grupa for designing and creating our logo. Thank you to today's sponsors, Libertarianism.org, Audible, and Stamps.com. And I want to sincerely thank all of you from the bottom of my heart. Your encouragement, your involvement, your engagement, not only does it mean the world to me, but it means the world to the men and women whose lives it's affecting. I met with an attorney this week, and he asked me how does this crowdsourcing thing work? And why do people do it? And I told him that this world is full of good people. Good people who want to make a difference. And they've always felt like, what could they possibly do? Well, this show is the answer to that. Every single one of you makes a difference. Everyone's contributions makes a difference. And for those of you that are listening right now that are trying to stifle this movement, we're not going anywhere. So to all of you in the Truth and Justice Army, stay engaged. Stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. 
No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.